I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the Canada 2020 Network. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. Interact connects everyone to the limitless possibilities of digital payments. Whether you are sending, receiving, or requesting money, using Interact Debit to pay by card, phone, or smartwatch, or looking for a business payment solution, they provide fast, convenient, and secure access to your own money. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know way more about protocol droids than I do about parliamentary procedure, and that's kind of a problem. So on this show, I'm inviting really smart people into the studio to explain stuff to me like I'm five. Today I'm talking to Leah Lawrence, the president and CEO of Sustainable Development Technology Canada, about clean tech. What is clean tech? Well, thanks for having me here, Aaron, and that's a great <laughs> question. I get asked that a lot, uh, actually. And I think I'd start by saying that, you know, the challenge with clean tech is that there's a misconception out there that it's renewable energy, it's wind and solar technologies. Right. But in fact, clean tech is just so much more. You know, it's any idea that has the potential to transform the environment and the economy at the same time. That's really how I think about it and how we think about it at, uh, at our organization. And with, when you think about it like that, it's any technology in any sector in fact, it's cross-sectoral in some cases, and, and, and I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. But, you know, let me give you an example you might not think about. Let's talk about data centers. And actually, right. data centers are really interesting in the Canadian context. So data centers, because of, you know, our propensity to store all kinds of data from personal to industrial to whatever and growing. And I think, you know, given your background, I've, I've read that, you know, we have more data in the last two years than entire human history or something. <laughs> yep. Anyway, we've got to okay. store that somewhere. And when we store it somewhere, the problem is it takes energy to store it. It takes energy to transfer it around between different components of a data center and the systems to get it there. And then it takes energy to cool the, those systems because everybody knows it's got a computer. Your computer gets hot when it right. runs. And so all of the things that come together to change that situation are clean technologies. Let me explain why that matters. So data centers today emit more greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which are you know precursors of climate change, um, than airlines globally. So, you know, we went to sleep one night and all of a sudden it's a bigger account for a challenge on a climate change um, challenge than airlines. And so what does that mean? That means we need to think about the whole value chain, um, not just procuring renewable energy, but also how do each of the individual components use less energy? So at SDTC on the cleantech side, we're funding a bunch of companies in that. You know, we're funding networking technologies, we're funding quantum computing, we're funding um, optical switching. We're funding the whole value chain because we know that that's not going to go away. People are going to want to store more data, access it, use it. So there's an example of clean technologies, transformational ideas that change the way we currently do things from an environmental and economic perspective. Um, and then there's the more traditional stuff that you might think about. Um, so agriculture. You know, obviously, there's a whole bunch of challenges beyond just climate change in agriculture, water, soil, biodiversity. Um, we've got some amazing companies in Canada. They're doing some really transformational stuff. What can we do with nanomaterials, with new kinds of um, um, organic 
fertilizers and and natural pesticides to change the way and increase the efficacy of production of food. And we and then add over onto that digitization. So here's two examples of clean technology you might think about. And then yes, of course, renewable energy. But even um, in Canada, primary industries have huge potential for sustainable technologies. When you think about, we're looking for environmental. Um, transformation and economic transformation. So how do you make any, you know, ton of ore produced in Canada be lower carbon and low cost as compared to the global peers? Same thing with natural gas, same thing with barrels of oil. So I I think you want to think about the whole spectrum because, you know, in a 20 or 30 year time horizon, we'll, we'll get to a place where lots of things are zero carbon, but there's intermediate steps to get there. So how do we take each of those transformational steps on a year by year basis? Okay. I'm fascinated by the example of an airplane versus a data center, because uh, when I think about things that I do every day, so much of my life is, is uh, based on like cloud storage Mm -hmm. or um, or the advertising tracking that follows me around. And so when you talk about, um, all of the pieces of that are we talking about like making every part of the puzzle more energy efficient and then tracking down where the energy comes from is that the idea of it that's exactly what we need to do and and the cool thing is like i started i mentioned quantum computing earlier and you know the cool thing is we now have the computational capacity to actually get to the kind of granularity we might always want it have wanted to so you know in in i've been in this way too long but you know we we do everything modeling after the fact today so you know you and i when we um, try to figure out say what our household greenhouse gas emissions are we got to use a bunch of proxies usually out of united states data okay and yeah. that's really challenging because i'd like to know what canadians do not what united states do but today we're in a spot where you can actually see um i'm more closely using sensors using other kinds of analytics that Canadians are really good at, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to calculate on a more granular micro basis, what are the impacts? What is the energy you're using? Um, how can I, you know, can I track it right to my fridge? Can I track it right to my uh, PVR box, which, by the way, is quite emissions intensive. Really? Interesting. <laughs> yes, okay, okay. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But, <laughs> but, but the point being is that we're getting to that kind of value chain granularity that we never have been able to before. And that sounds like a big word, but all it means is that um, in your home, you could actually today, with some pretty simple technology you can buy off the shelf, tell which is your PVR box, your fridge, whatever, is the most Who's doing the bad stuff. Uh, electricity intensive. And then you could figure out what you want to do about it, which yeah. we couldn't do that even maybe three to five years ago. Right. Because now all I can think of is um, when I was growing up, uh, ads about inefficient furnaces mm-hmm. or about the old fridge that's in your garage. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll have to hear about the PVR box. Your beer fridge, as it is. Yeah, exactly. Beer fridge. That's exactly it. <laughs> Um, now I'm thinking about it. I want to know what else. What else is an example of something that we use every day and we take for granted that's not that we're not thinking about that is that is negative in that way, negatively impactful. Oh, you mean your PBR box? And yeah, exactly. Well, like more things like that. Well, I think there's the, the interesting thing about this is this is really hard to know, not just for you, but also for uh, for for industry and for governments. So I'll give an example of your car. Um, so, you know, you know, electric vehicles are on the rise, they're a great thing, but it depends where you live, whether the electric vehicle actually, it depends where your electricity sources is, right. are, what your electricity source is, whether your electric vehicle um, has the environmental pe- impact you truly desire. If you lived in Europe recently, and you probably read a lot about um, um, some software glitches 
perhaps <laughs> that are being litigated related to diesel emissions from okay, yes, from, yeah, uh, from certain vehicle manufacturers. Yeah, yes. um, so you might have thought when you bought a diesel car because that, they were actually marketed that way, if you remember, that you actually were more environment you'd made a more environmental choice. But in hindsight, what we found out is that you know there was some gaming of the system that today we probably would catch much sooner because we have the technology to right, do that. Right, technology, but, the data. Um, so, I mean, I think the things that you might not think of are yes, PVR boxes, fridges. I mean, you still do have extra beer fridges. I have a wine fridge. Um, uh, you know, your car. I mean, is it? It's hard from an environmental perspective. Is it just tailpipe emissions I should be concerned about, or is it all the materials in my car? Should I keep my? It might be better in some instances to keep your car an extra year or two than to transform it today. Right, because, from the manufacturing process. Yes, yeah. and, but also because we're seeing such rapid increases in innovation year over year. So, you know, the batteries we saw five years ago, the ones we see today are an order of magnitude better in everything, right? Mm-hmm. So each year you get a successive wave of better technology, more efficient, um, more environmental, and less expensive. So, you know, these are all the things you want to keep in mind uh, as you think about clean technologies. Right. And I I sort of think of that with like the story of uh, what a cell phone was a decade ago and what it is today. Exactly. And now we're even seeing uh, manufacturers start to become more conscious of of the impact of like the entire process start to finish. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what's interesting about this is um, I think in the last few years we've started talking about how – You know, clean technology in the last two decades was about fighting climate change or fixing air quality or whatever the case is. But because of leadership by um, China, United States still, um, um, Korea and South Korea and uh, Germany, we really saw a switch from fighting climate change to dominating the new economy. So when you look at those nations, what they're thinking about is how do we be leaders in electric vehicles, in um, battery technologies, in um, the most efficiency uh, internal combustion, most efficient internal combustion engines, that's class everything because we'll still use them in many applications, even if we start to use them less in cars or as we start to use them less in cars. You know, So you, what you saw is each of those nations putting forward um, public policies, not just environmental public policies, but industrial public policies, because they were trying to create a new platform for clean technology on which to grow an economy. And so that's why you see, you know, the the uh, technologies coming out of those nations, solar panels and, and uh, wind turbines out of Germany, for example, often um, now increasingly China and Korea. And um, as well, you see cars and these kinds of things coming out of the States. And it was because of intentional public and private choices to try and accelerate the innovation pace of right. those supply chains and okay. locations. What are some things that, like the flip side of that question about what are the things that we use that are bad, what are some things out there that we're using that have had a, like a big positive change in recent years? Like what is what has become a lot cleaner that maybe we're not thinking about or just taking for granted? Well, I think everything's a continuum, so it's it's – I find it challenging to answer that question. Okay. Right? Like, like degrees of cleanliness. Yeah, kind you know, of thing. like in, in Canada, we have some really great engineers and scientists, and, and they in the public and private sector, and every year they come up with new ideas on improvement. And so, really, in a technology development innovation context, we see, you know, continuous improvement of two or three percent, usually in most sectors every year, anyway. And so, you know, what you'd want to look for is can you get a step change in. In something, and 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 we have had step changes. In fact, you you've seen them. Um, interestingly, they aren't always technology related. So, 
um, you know, we talked about renewable energy. So wind and solar now today, I mean, it's generally reported all the time that the cost can be quite low. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons for that. There was a big public, you know, push on the industrial policy side in China and Germany, um, which, which, and the United States, which were targeting, you know, getting to um, low cost deployment of those things. So you have seen transformational change in those things. You've seen costs come down by orders of magnitude. You've seen efficiencies increase. And so what you see there now is it's actually become an infrastructure kind of technology like pipe water pipes and other things. And if you look at who's investing in them, it's actually real infrastructure players. Like if you look at who's buying big utility scale solar and wind, it's those players. So that stuff is actually mainstream. Right. Okay. Um, when so, you say like big big players, what who are we talking about? Um, Brookfield Renewables, for example, is now you know buying into large scale wind and solar deployments globally. Um, okay. You know that would be an example. If we if we if we go back to ten years ago, they would have been monitoring that space, but it would have been too early stage. And that's that sort of gets to what SDTC does. So we were created um, about sixteen years ago um, because the thought was well. There needs to be a little bit of encouragement in the pre-commercial stage, which can take five, ten years, mm-hmm. um, with the private sector to help pull through some of these good ideas for clean technologies that just aren't ready for commercial sale yet. Um, and there was a realization that five to ten years is a long time. If you look at other sectors, like tech, for example, you know their expectation of commercialization is sort of three to five years. Right. But because you're trying to transform an energy system or you're trying to transform a building or something like that, the systems that clean tech also target are longer lived, right? And take longer to really figure out some of the technical challenges there. So when they created SDTC, that was the idea. How do you with a small bit of um, non-dilutive contribution from public funds, um, encourage the private sector to think about where they could make transformational environmental change that would eventually become cost competitive. And so that's what we did. So if you look over the life of clean technology evolution, I like to think of it in sort of four phases. So in the 90s to early 2000s, it was really sort of that early generation where a lot of it was still really early stage, you know, um, the early stage of the bell curve, um, high cost, figuring out really technical problems, blue sky, you know, what does that look like? Um, and so that was the first phase. And and so then the next phase was around, okay, so we've got some stuff that's getting close to being interesting, um, but I still need you to pay me a premium to be green. So in the mid-2000s, there was a lot of that. If you remember, there were contracts for different things where you would pay a green premium to be able to bring that onto the market. And and that brings in certain players who are willing and able to do that, you know, players who would like to do those kind of things. Off the top of your head, do you have an example of... Yeah, this would be in the mid-2000s. There would have been contracts for uh, wind electricity that paid a premium over a, a term of a life. Um, the other thing that happened at that time is governments would put in certain policies like renewable portfolio standards or renewable fuel standards, where some some public monies or some requirements to purchase. Um, and what your idea was there is you were trying to pull in some stuff that that uh, that wasn't quite commercial yet and needed right. more deployments to get the cost down. Right, right, right. So basically, either giving an incentive of a of a like a, a, a contract if you do this in a yeah. more environmentally friendly way, yeah. or in that other scenario, um, uh, some money to to back it to give it the time it needs to to develop. That's right. Okay. And and so Germany, great example of that. Huge um, subsidy on the supply and the demand side for solar panel deployment. So that's why if you go there, even though everybody always says it's a 
much more cloudy place than most countries, um, they have huge solar panel deployments. And it's because there was a view on the industrial policy and the environmental policy side for Germany to want to be the manufacturer and uh, of solar panels. Okay. So they yeah. put in subsidies on both sides, manufacturing and on house deployment. Now, you know, I'm not here to say whether that's right or wrong or whatever. What I do know is the end result, you know, it was that you got significant deployments. Mm-hmm. And over time now we have quite low panel prices. And, and that's because of multiple companies, uh, countries, sorry, doing that kind of thing. That makes sense to me. It's uh, in, a, in a much smaller version of that story. Um, I, my uncle, who lives in California, yes. um, got a major rebate on his taxes for putting solar panels on his roof. Exactly. And he because he was putting solar panels on his roof, bought himself an electric car. Uh, and because he was in California, he also got a rebate on the electric car. And so for the price of the car that he previously had, he now had a car that he didn't really pay to run in terms of fuel because it was being powered by the solar panels on his roof. Yeah. And so, you know, if you look at technology investment and evolution, you always have early adopters that want to try some things. And so those kind of put you know, who will pay full price, but then you'll have the next tranche, um, which will do it with a little bit of an incentive. And so, you know, in the case of your uncle, you're really trying to get a critical mass of folks uh, trying some stuff so that then the costs, the engineers get really smart and the scientists think of new ideas, but more importantly, also the people who actually install those things, get better at installing them. And the people who are writing public policy for those things understand how to do that and, and also ensure public safety and all these other things. And so you get the whole, the whole process um, rolling down ecosystem, the ecosystem, right? yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah, starting to learn collectively. And this doesn't happen overnight, obviously. Uh, starting to learn collectively. So, you know, when your neighbor of your uncle decides that they want to do this, the electrician who's going to install it already did it on his house. Right. So, it's so he easier, knows how to do it. Right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm so, getting this. Yeah. So, so that's really what the last two decades were. And then right now, we're in this, because we spent all this two decades doing it, we're in this commercialization and scale up phase. So you're starting to see global players in certain areas, right? So you're starting, and you're starting to see big multinationals start to buy into some of this stuff. So they buy small and mid-sized companies that are selling these kinds of clean technologies, or they invest in them, or they buy their products. And so you're starting to see, in lots of sectors, um, commercialization and cost competitiveness and environmental benefit. Um, you know, and it's not an either or, it's a continuum. So we'll continue to see evolution and some sectors are, are, are leading and some are coming along and different nations are at different places. But that's where we're at today. What's next, right? Right. Right. So we were talking about Android watches before we started right. taping, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so the cool thing about um, that we're seeing a lot. So what we're seeing is a whole bunch of people coming to us now to say, okay, we have, we're tech companies or we have a whole bunch of data. And we suddenly realized it tells us something about environment. So we're trying to figure out, is there money to be made here? You know, for example, a security firm came to see us, a few security firms actually have come to see us to say, well, we have energy data for buildings. You know, is there, is that something that it would be useful to other entrepreneurs? You know, and the answer is, of course, yes, because then you could figure out building right. efficiencies okay. and things yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. right? So when when we start talking about this, you know, so there's the mega trend of clean technology, and then there's the mega trend of digital, which you would know much more about than me. But when they come together, right, the interesting thing for us is we're seeing all kinds of super energy efficiency, all kinds of super sustainability that we never 
in different ways than we ever thought. So here's an example. This is kind of a crazy example, but um, I find it interesting. So a while back, someone said to me, well, do you know that Fitbits can predict earthquakes? And I said, I highly doubt that, but tell me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, I think where the story originates is because, uh, you know, I went to the you know, the purveyor of all things factual, Google, and I looked it up, and I found um, that a young boy had done a science fair experiment with his dad, and what they did was, so they'd heard this, the young boy had heard that, well, you know, animals um, get more agitated prior to an earthquake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this would be matter, this would matter from an environmental sustainability standpoint, from a human safety standpoint, all of these things. Because if if you actually could do better than what the status quo technology is, you could move people earlier. You could right. You could you know there could be things you could do, move animals, whatever the case may be. Anyway, so you can imagine a young boy doing a science fair experiment with his dad. He, they say, well, let's see, can we see if if um, if animals can predict earthquakes? So what they do that they did is they they took some Fitbits and they attached the they found a farmer who was willing to let them use uh, some of his cattle and goats <laughs> in the in their neighborhood and uh, and they attached they fitbits fit yes they attached fitbits to these okay. animals and so they for 30 days they monitored the movements of the animals and then they took um, it's happened to the United States, U.S. Geologic Survey data um, related to seismic activity, and they overlaid it on their data set. Okay. Right? okay. So this is all very interesting to me because here you have an environmental problem they're trying to solve, and they're using new tools, right? They're right. using sensors. They could use machine learning and AI. Like, there's all these right. things okay. they could do yes. this, right? Anyway, so they do this. And so here's the funny part of the story is there happened to be no seismic activity in the 30 days they measured. So they couldn't say anything Aww. about their hypothesis related to earthquakes. However, what I really loved is is the conclusion for the young boy, though, was, boy, those goats sure move a lot more than cows. <laughs> that was his conclusion. <laughs> Which, you know what? Somebody might find some commercial relevant well, that's it, information right? yeah. in that data at some point. <laughs> You never know how the data is going to be useful. You just collect the no, data, and no. then later you can look at it. No, but that's but let's use one that I know that's more tangible. So um, yep. L'Oreal is making these skin patches. I don't or these little patches for your skin. I don't know if uh, if you've seen them, but and what they do is they detect UV, okay. and so they actually can send a sense. They, they sense and they send a signal to an app on a on a on your smartphone that will tell you if you should apply sunscreen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So just think about that if you're a parent. Yeah. Um, and then now think about it, how I think about things in the world. I don't know if you read in the paper a little while ago, they detected that there's a new hole in the ozone layer, which it has UV challenges, yeah. right? And we were all surprised because we thought that, that we'd taken care of that under the Montreal Protocol. Anyway, that's a whole different story. The point being that if you aggregated, if, if lots of people were wearing these patches and they gave you permission, this is an right. important thing yes. that we're going to talk about, I think, in, in maybe uh, the future, <laughs> but uh, and they give you permission to use their data, um, then you could perhaps have a better understanding of those bigger macro level environmental challenges that we're looking at right all the way down to the individual. And that's where I get really excited because, yeah. you know, right now when we talk about climate change and criteria contaminants and all these things, air quality, all these things, the problem is, is it's really hard to figure out how that, what that means for you on an individual scale and to relate. You know, the questions you asked me earlier, what can I do? What is something I wouldn't have thought of? Well, if you could figure out how, you know, the paints in your room um, whether they're emitting VOCs. If you didn't have to install a carbon monoxide meter, meter but actually had it in your smartphone, right. if you could wear sunglasses or patches that had UV sensors and you could monitor on your smartphone, then all of a sudden these bigger environmental problems become very local. 
and you can decide, you know, what you want to do about that or what you think about that and all this kind of thing. So I find this, that's what I think the future is, is this clean tech 4.0 will be this um, ability and this democratization to really understand more locally what these bigger environmental challenges mean for you. Now I'm just I'm trying to picture the design of the sunglasses. There you, you go. There you go. There uh, actually, head. I can send you a link. There's a company called Interaxon in Toronto. Oh, and they're doing them. Yeah, they're oh, trying. Oh, they're, they're, they're doing it. Uh, they're doing it uh, for different reasons, but they're. Yeah. But they're. Uh, they're oh, that's great. It. Yeah. Um, so uh, my last question, because we always like to end on something positive. Um, who is doing a great job in the in the clean technology space? It's doing a great job. Well, this is a great question because I always want us to have environmental champions um, and know who they are in Canada. Because, you know, sometimes when we think about who's an environmental champion globally, we think of non-Canadian companies. So um, let me start. Let me give you a few. So um, in Vancouver, there's a company um, called Saltworks, and they have really figured out how to um, clean up water in all kinds of things from municipal applications to mines that, um, you know, had been developed over a long period of time and shut down, but now they're fixing some of the environmental problems that are there. Um, They, in fact, have their technology from the high Arctic to San Bernardino, uh, California. So really an interesting company. Uh, Australia's, our team likes to call them the... um, uh, some of their stuff, the Steve Jobs of water, because they started like an apartment, had all their apparatus set up in that apartment. My understanding is, I think I have this right, and then got evicted because obviously setting up a little bit of an industrial <laughs> apparatus in your apartment is not a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Now they have, I can't remember, 50,000 square feet in Vancouver and Burnaby or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's Saltworks, is a really interesting water technology company. Um, another company I like is uh, GHG Sat. They're in Montreal, and they also have, I think, some people in Toronto. And so they're trying to measure through satellites um, uh, methane and other greenhouse gas emissions. So um, helping companies understand uh, through remote sensing what uh, what um, what their emissions are, where they're concentrated, and governments as well. So um, every 90 minutes, their satellite, one of their satellites goes by, and that's pretty right. cool. And so that's a company I think is really interesting. On the agriculture side, we have all kinds. Um, uh, there's one, uh, actually, that's in five countries right now in uh, Manitoba that is um, that is a digital ag company called Farmer's Edge. And they're just understanding how you take um, agriculture and agronomy data and make it available to farmers and help them make better decisions. Uh, they tell me that, you know, farmers have some, like, 50 input variables that they're continuously trying to manage to, um, you know, manage their, right. their crops yeah, appropriately. Yeah. And so this helps them do that from the environmental through to the commercial. But, you know, it's a full suite of products. Um, anyway, I could go on and on, but yeah. those are the, some of the ones I like. Well, thank you very much. Um Leah, where can people find you on the internet? Okay, well, so our organization is uh, SDTC, Sustainable Development Technology Canada, sdtc.ca, and we have uh, all kinds of information about the companies we've funded on that site. Thank you very much for joining me today. All right, thank you. For over 30 years, Interact has allowed Canadians to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want whether with your debit card, mobile, or wearable device. Learn more at interact.ca.